0: If you're still sitting there, I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I hope you're glad that you showed up this morning not because of any specific thing, except that we're here to worship God. We call this a worship service. It's not simply prayer meeting, even though we pray. It's, it's not a hymn sing, even though we sing hymns and choruses. It's um, not just a Bible teaching time, even though we're going to be looking at the Bible and teaching from the Bible. It's a worship service, which means that we are to turn our attention from the things of the world, the things that bog us down, the things that occupy our time and turn our attention to him alone. One of the things that I didn't mention was that a few moments ago when you gave in the offering, did you look at that as a time of worship? Because truly it is. Worship, as you have, may remember from last week, simply is this, that we express back to God our heart. And it is reflected in everything we do. So if we're worshiping God, our giving is an act of worship. If you helped at the work day yesterday or at the tractor pull, I pray that you did it as an act of worship. A few moments uh, after I'm done preaching, you'll have the opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper. It can be and should be an act of worship. But the truth of the matter is, if you have sin in your life that you haven't confessed and your mind is some million miles from here, it's just eating some matzah and drinking some grape juice, and it's not worship. I pray you worshiped along with the praise team as they just did special music. But if you were just up here judging whether Will sang well or Faye played the piano okay or whatever, or whoever's playing the piano. No, oh, it was Cale playing. You know, I'm not sure you worshiped. The point is this. Whatever God brings into our life, when we express back our joy, Our gratitude, our thanksgiving, our adoration, our praise to Him. We're worshiping God. And that includes not only what happens in a service, but it includes our whole life. That is worship for a Christian. It's not a once and done thing. And this series of sermons deals with giving as an act of worship. This morning we're going to call it the cost of worship to the collection. And we're going to get that because we're going to look at 1st Corinthians chapter 16 the first four verses. And if you would please follow along as I read them out loud. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper that no collections be made when I come. And when I arrive Whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. We're going to look at that uh, in some detail. There are a number of principles that we want to point out from there. There are plenty of other principles in the Word of God for looking at what happens when we give to the Lord. Giving to the Lord is not only when we give, when we take an offering. But it's your talents, it's your abilities, it's your time, it's your energy—all of those things. Your teaching, your ministries, all of those things are to be given for the Lord. As we'll be reminded by the Lord's supper, it is not about putting me first. In fact, is when we participate in the Lord's supper, it is all about putting Jesus Christ first. We had nothing to offer; He offered everything, and we are thankful. It's. Paul said he gave thanks. It's a participation in what he has done. And when we worship, we are literally participating in what God has already done. And we're expressing that back to him. The Apostle Paul had addressed a number of different issues with the Corinthian church, and they had to do with infighting in the church, Christian liberty, use of spiritual gifts, the use of Christian liberty, uh, some wrong doctrine he will, uh, has already dealt with in chapter 15. And then he comes to chapter 16 and says, oh, by the way, one more thing we want to deal with. We want to deal with the collection. We need to look at that. A little bit of background to the Apostle Paul's ministry. If you were to look back before he ever went on a missionary journey, you would find in Acts chapter 11, the last verses of that chapter, starting in 27 and going through verse 30, you will find that there were some hardships in Jerusalem. The people who were there were being persecuted, uh, and uh, they were having a really, really hard time staying there. Many fled from Jerusalem and went other places, but some stayed as light and salt, as ministers in the city of Jerusalem. But they were having a really, really hard time, and they took up a collection. And as each person had opportunity, they gave from their means, whatever they had, as each of them determined, and they sent that contribution for relief to the brethren living in Judea. And they did this, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. In that, some of the same principles that I'm going to look at are also found. It was proportionate. It was determined. It was something they thought about ahead of time. It was also done in a very responsible manner. Money, church-wise, godly-wise, is never dealt with by one single person. Ever. Ever. We don't do that here at the church. In fact, even our ushers don't go back and put the money in the safe with only one of them there. There's at least two, usually three of them. Sometimes people will come to the office and say, I have a check or I have money I want to put in the offering. It makes me cringe. It's the only time I know anything about what happens in the offering because I usually, in their presence, take out an envelope, ask them to put it in the envelope, seal it right on offering, and then I give them my church key, tell them to come over and put it in the little box at the door. Because you know what? I don't want to touch it. I never want my integrity or credibility to ever be in question. That's not always possible. It happened the other week. It wasn't possible. But you know what? I just don't like to do that. Why? I wouldn't mind. The fact is, usually I won't even do it if Becky or John isn't there because I do cover my basis in that direction, but I don't really want anything to do with it, because that's not my job, and I want the credibility of this church to be exceptionally high. In this case, Barnabas and Saul took it to the elders, and by the way, the participation in spending it is also overseen, and that's very important to keep in mind. Now, as we go along in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, we get to his third missionary journey. That's the one we're going to look at this morning. On his third missionary journey, they're again collecting money for the saints that are in Jerusalem. And that's what is referred to in verse 1 of our text this morning. It's also referred to in Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 through 7, and even some of the rest of it. But they, Apostle Paul had asked them to give a gift to take down. Now, not only in Jerusalem was there uh, persecution, but there was also a famine. And those that had chose to stay there were having a really, really tough time. And he was asking the churches that he had started to contribute so they could take it back and help those that continued to minister in the church in Jerusalem. And he had done that not only with the church at Corinth, which is we're looking at this morning, but other churches. Now, to be perfectly honest, this is what we would normally call a charity ministry could be seen as missions because those people were staying there on purpose to continue having light and salt in Jerusalem. So you could see it that way, but it was also because they didn't have the means to survive. So we would look at it that way uh, and, and see it in that direction. But the Apostle Paul, in another passage that we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10 and going through verse 19, you see what we would normally call mission giving. The Apostle Paul was, as you know, a missionary. He went from town to town, from city to city, taking the gospel, starting churches. He didn't become what we would look at normally as a pastor. He was there. He got it up and running. Appointed elders moved on. He went back and v- revisited some of them a few times, but he wasn't a regular pastor. He wasn't there every Sunday. He didn't continue to meet the needs of the congregation. But in Philippians chapter four, verse 10, it says this, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that n- now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul said, in the past, I didn't have a need. I was able to do things, and you know at Corinth, he actually was tent-making. He actually refused to take any money because he said, you know what? I'm going to pay my own way. And he tent make, uh, was making tents to pay his own way. He had that privilege. But there were times when he was unable to do that, and he fully gave his life over to preaching and teaching. And when he did that, a number of the other churches contributed to his needs. The church in Philippi was one of them. He said, you didn't have opportunity in the past, even though you wanted to help me, but now you have an, you've had an opportunity. In fact, is I thank you for it, but I'm not thanking you because I'm begging for money. Uh, there's one thing I will not do as a pastor. I don't believe I've ever done it. I will not beg for money. I think it's absolutely wrong. I don't think it's biblical. It's simply this. We need to let the needs be known, of course, But begging for money is a whole other issue. Why? Because I believe, number one, worship. I'm sorry, giving is an act of worship. It's not just because there are needs, not just because there are missionaries, not just because we like the lights and the air conditioning and the heat, and it's not just because other people have physical needs that we can help meet. It's because it's an act of worship. We don't beg people to sing and we don't beg people to do anything else that we consider worship. Why would we do that if it requires or it involves finances? We just don't do that. But Paul said, you know what? I want to tell you something. And this is how my attitude is. That's what apostle Paul was saying. I hope mine the same way. You know what? I've learned that whether I have everything or whether I have almost nothing, I have learned to be content. In fact, there's a verse that all of you probably know is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. We usually rip it out of context and we don't think about it this way. But the context is giving to a missionary. The context is, I am content with whatever I have, whatever whatever situation God puts me in financially, I'm content. And here's what it says. "I, uh, I don't believe I just did that. I just totally blanked. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context of that verse. then he goes on to say, but you know what? I am so thankful for you because you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Two words I want to point out. Your version may have a different word there. It may have uh, uh, the word conversation or conduct in there. It's the word share. It means to have fellowship together, to be in union with, to participate alongside of. That's what it means. And the Apostle Paul said, when you gave to me, guess what you were doing? You were participating in the very ministry that I am doing. When you give in the offering at Garden Chapel, believe it or not, while Ben and Nikki Buckner are halfway around the world, literally, you are still participating, sharing fellowshipping in their ministry. Why? Because we support that. It doesn't matter if it's Bruce Yeager just up here in Linglestown. It doesn't matter where it is. When you give and those funds are used for missionaries, you are participating, sharing, fellowshipping with that missionary. Do you ever think about it that way? Act of worship, but it's also an act of fellowship, participation with that missionary. And he says, you've done that several times for me. And notice what he says in verse 18. I am amply supplied, having received everything from Epaphroditus, what you have sent. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. I keep emphasizing, when you give in the offering, in the collection, it's an act of worship. Again, it's pointed out here. It is a fragrant aroma. Remember from last week's sermon? It is a whole burnt offering. It all goes up to God to glorify and praise Him. And then it also goes on to say, it's an acceptable sacrifice. It's something, and a sacrifice is something given over for the use of someone else, in this case, it was the Apostle Paul directly, but for God's use in ministering the gospel. And then it ends with, and this is well-pleasing to God. That changes the way we look at the offering. i got to give. I will tell you, and, and I'll, I'll, this will come back again at the end of the sermon, but a few years ago, now it's more than a few years ago now, somebody used to come to Garden Chapel, and, and the family had all kinds of problems, but the husband, I sat down with the husband one night, and he was telling me, I have problems with my wife, I have problems with my kids, I have problems with my boss, I have problems with my finances, and I have problems with church. Fact is, I've quit giving. Oh, well, that's interesting. Why did you quit giving? Well, here's what had happened. He had grown up in a church that they beat him to death with, you better give 10%, and if you're not giving 10%, God is going to judge you. He goes, if God is going to... He said, I can't afford to give 10%. If God's going to judge me, I might as well just quit giving. And I said, whoa, have you got it wrong? (laughs) And we went back and looked at it because, guess what? It's an act of worship. I'm I'm not going to sit up here and determine if... Craig Edder worship better than Scott did or Kyle did. Uh, You know what? That's not my job. But if they're participating, they're worshiping. But every person's different. Every person has different resources. Every uh, person has a different participation, a different uh, um, proportion that they can do. The point is this. We need to be a part of that. And it is an act of of worship. And then there's a promise, and we'll look at this in a future sermon, but it says in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When we worship by putting God first, whether it's our time, our resources, our abilities, our capabilities, our money, it doesn't matter. When we put God first, he makes the rest of it work. Now, I have some ideas. I believe God supernaturally promises, if we put Him first and we worship Him, that He somehow supernaturally changes things. And I believe that. There's no doubt about it. The Scripture's very clear. I also believe there's a practical element to that. And I believe I've seen this in my own life, and Faye and I have seen this, is when we put God first in our finances, He makes us better stewards, wiser with whatever is left after that and we think it through, and we spend it in a more advantageous way, and it works better. And you think about that. There is no one here that says, you know what, I got extra money, I'm just going to throw it away. Because you could, and if you don't have it in your mind now, within a five minutes, you could figure out how to spend it. Anybody disagree? We, I, I hope nobody puts their hand up but I, otherwise my point goes away. But but you know what? There, we have money. We can figure out how to spend it. I'm no different than you are. We all can do that. But God says, put me first. In your giving, whatever it is. In missions, giving for other people, doesn't matter. In this case, it was the Apostle Paul. Also, the Scripture is very clear in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that those that minister in the name of the Lord and on behalf of the people deserve to be paid. For example, the Old Testament priests, they did not own land. They, their paycheck was the offering. Parts of the offering, except for whole burnt offerings, were given to the priests as part of their paycheck. There were also tithes that were taken that were given to the priests so they could make, uh, you know, deal with life. In the New Testament, it's clear that those that work hard at preaching and teaching are Worthy of double honor, what does that mean? A worker is worthy of his hire. That's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. The Apostle Paul said, I have the right to make a living preaching the gospel. I have chosen at times not to do that. But I have the right to do that. I, I have the right to do that. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 is much broader, but it simply says this. Let him who is ministered to by the word of God and by those ministering, share all good things with that person who's ministering to them. There is that element. And so you put it all together, this whole thing is an act of worship, but it also has the practical implications that it helps people in need, helps people in ministry, helps missions, and it also makes it possible for people like myself and Pastor John to be able to put full time into ministering to people and their needs. But as we look and we're going to do this rather quickly, and I'm going to give you a laundry list at the end. But let's look at what it says. It says, on the first day of every week, let each of you put aside and save. Notice, this doesn't say, you know what, I'm not rich, uh, so I'm not going to give. It says, let each of you. Giving is not an option, just like being, if you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I really don't need to worship God. That is absolutely backwards, If you're a Christian, you have something to praise God and worship God about. Truth of the matter is, if you have anything, you have an obligation to some extent to use that to worship God. It says, let each of you, it doesn't say some of you or, you know, those that have more than others. It says everyone, everyone participates. That's why I encourage you. When we're singing, you may not even like the song. You may not know the song, but do your best to participate. And you know, don't sing too loudly if you don't know the song, because you'll mess everybody else up. But I mean, you know, participate. You know, if, if there's whatever's going on, when we, we shake hands, by the way, I didn't put that in there. If you don't think fellowshipping and shaking hands and, and encouraging people is a part of the fellowship and the worship of this church, you need to think that one through too. If you sit there and Well, if somebody talks to me, I guess I'll talk to them. You do that, you've just missed an opportunity for worship. Because guess what? Sometimes the only smiling face, that person that you're going to shake hands with and encourage, they haven't had that all week. They need you to encourage them. Ask them how they're doing. Maybe, you know, just be able to come aside to them, pray with them. You know, I've seen it all. And and that's what we should do. The point is, we need to use what God has given us, and all of us have that opportunity. In fact, is that's imperative. It's a command. And then it says to save. It means to put back, put aside for the proper time. That can either be you give on a regular basis to the church, or some of you I know give once a month. You put aside and you give once a month. That's fine. Whatever it is, you you're, have a purpose behind what you're doing. And then the next one, if you have King James, you're probably thinking I'm a heretic by now because it says, as God may prosper. If you have an NIV, it says, as in keeping with your income. I read, as he may prosper from the New American Standard. Guess what? All three of them are good, accurate translations because the Greek phrase can be translated all three of them. And when you put them all three together, you get the full story. First of all, uh, it just means that God is doing it or you're doing it. Well, guess what? You cannot prosper unless God is the one that allows you to prosper. There's no way around that. Your life, your breath, your health, your time, it's all from Him. And if He doesn't give it to you, you can't use it. And if you prosper, you will be putting into practice and using what God has given you. So that's as you prosper. And then the NIV says, in keeping with his income. That's proportional giving. The more God gives you, the more you can give. The less God gives you, God expects less. Back when Jack Wharton was still alive and we went to Word of Life, uh, he made this statement, and it stuck with me. I don't know why. I don't remember anything else he said, but I remember this. He said, whatever you do, young people, when you start giving to the Lord, don't start with 10%. He says, you know what will happen? You'll get stuck on 10% and you'll never give any more. He said, start with nine, start with 11, start any place else, but don't start with 10 because you'll get in a rut. And you know what? The more I look back, I realized that was really a wise statement because... You know what? If you've got a really good job and you've got good income and you're giving 10%, you're probably stealing from God. On the other hand, if you're in bad shape right now and you don't have a job and you're still trying to give what you gave before because I'm going to give 10% of what I believe you're probably going to be stealing from the electric company because you didn't pay the bill. Bill. So just keep that in mind. It's proportionate giving. I can remember and I'll do this real quick. Years ago right before we got saved, my wife and I started going to church, and we started going to Lebanon Valley Bible Church, and uh, we thought it was a big deal because we each gave a dollar a week in the offering. Man, we did God a favor, and I'm not joking about this. We gave God a dollar a week apiece. We're doing God a favor. Well, that was a favor because we never did anything before. It wasn't a favor to God, but we thought it was. Then we got saved, and uh, we got convicted that we ought to, you know, start giving. Back then, I made $3.25 an hour, I believe it was. I came home at the end of the week with $103. And that was with overtime on. That was with overtime. So I came home with about $100 a week. I decided, you know what? I'm going to start giving $10 a week. And then I realized at the end of the weeks, there was still as much money in my wallet as before. I didn't. Under- and then we got convicted that we were still putting the government first because they were taking So we started giving off of the gross figure, the big figure before the government got their fingers on it. That's a lot more. You know what? And we didn't stop there. We continued to raise that. And to this day, we still do that. We were able to even do that when I got messed, my knees messed up when I was working. We decided during that time when I was on workman's comp, we're going to still continue to give what we gave before. You know what? I can honestly tell you, I am not rich. Anybody that knows me, I don't try to act like I'm rich or, and I I am not rich, but you know what? I have never missed a meal in my life. (laughs) You know what? Because God has amply supplied everything that I need and it's proportionate giving. You know what? Now that we don't have four kids to feed, we can even give more, you know? Thanks Amy for leap moving, you know? Anyway, but you know what? It makes it possible to do that. I have more time now, more resources to be able to do that. Just remember that. It's proportionate. If God has blessed you greatly, he expects more because your worship should reflect. Remember, worship is telling God, thank you, praise you. You've been gracious. That's what worship is. And then he said, the last thing he says, whomever you approve, I will send. There has to be a accountability. So I told you, i have a laundry list and then we'll close with that. First of all, it's participatory. All people participate. At what level? Don't know. It's regardless of the level, but everyone participates. It is a unified ministry. We're all in it together just like singing, just like fellowshipping, just like listening to a sermon and applying it, everyone participates. Number one, these are all P's here in case you want to know. Prepared. And I put in there painstakingly systematic, regular. You're planning ahead of time. You do a budget. Your budget should include what you're giving. Pray about it. Ask God what to do. Go from there. If you don't practice Painstaking, systematic. It'll be as the Spirit moves, and usually that's not the Holy Spirit, that's your emotions, and when it's convenient. And don't anybody get mad at me, but uh, if you look at the back of the bulletin during the summer, you would expect that the church went on vacation also. Because somehow or the other, we forget to plan and prepare for if I'm not here, the work goes on. My ministry of worship in giving in the collection goes on. It needs to be personal building an account or building it up at the church, whatever it is. But the truth of the matter is when we put God first, we are putting it back. Like I said, some people give once a month, some people uh, do it otherwise. And I don't care how you do it, but we need to set it aside. The church needs to do the same thing. And we try that. And it is one of the most Taxing things that we do as, as the elder board and the servant board to make sure we use the money wisely, set it aside, save it so that we can pay the bills when they come due. It needs to be proportionate as God has prospered, as you have prospered in keeping with your income. Doesn't matter what version you use, it's all the same thing. It is, um, something that God has said. Give in proportion to how I have blessed you. And then it needs to be used properly. The first illustration I used from Acts chapter 11 said they brought the funds for that first relief and they gave it to the elders and the elders distributed it. Where we use it is important, and people that have credibility and integrity and know what's going on, that they're in charge. Whether it's Mike and the missions committee on missions, whether it's the servant board on the things that we need to do here, and all the other things, whether it's Pastor John for local outreach, it doesn't matter what it is. We need to have people that are credible in using it wisely as good stewards. But it also needs to be totally above board. In other words, nothing is ever done privately. I already went over that uh, at the beginning of the sermon, uh, <clears throat> that I don't like being a part of that because it's not my job. Somebody else has been entrusted with that, and nobody ever does it by themselves. You know what? We cannot even write a check from this church without having at least two signatures. It's just the way it is. When we have people counting the money, there's a minimum of two, usually three. Why do we do that? Because you should be able to worship God with confidence. That's what God requires of us. And one of the things that we as boards got convicted of just about a month or so ago, that sometimes we are just negligent in making clear what the needs are and what the status of the church is so that you can painstakingly plan. So you can worship in a way that this reflects who I am. This reflects what God has done in my life. And so we we are determined and want to endeavor to make sure that you know exactly what's happening with the finances so you can give with confidence, so you can worship God absolutely freely and That is not begging for money. That's just simply letting the needs be known. If you looked at the apostle Paul, that's exactly what he did. Hey, there are saints down there and there's a famine. There are saints down there. They're being persecuted. They need some help. Oh, and by the way, I've stopped tent making. And you know what? Right now is an opportunity. You can actually help me. He didn't beg. He said, Hey, I know how to get along with a lot or a little, but you know what? If you'd like to help, feel free. And he said, you know what? And what's going to happen is God will supply your needs. By the way, he didn't say you'll have a new Benz and a new Rolls and a Rolex and new house and all that. He said, I'll supply your needs. That's what he said. And that's what he means. I encourage you to look at the cost of worship, the collection. It truly is an act of worship. But we're going to go from there to what nobody would disagree is an act of worship because you are going to have the opportunity to share, participate, fellowship in the Lord's Supper. If the men would gather, please.